right? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Uh, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Tonight we have uh, our new research director actually of Quranic studies. It's a real pleasure to have with us, Alhamdulillah, Sheikh Yusuf Wahab. Hayakallah, Sheikh Yusuf, how are you? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, how are you? Akramak Allah, Alhamdulillah. Sheikh Yusuf, uh, Masr or Canada? Which uh, one do you prefer? <laughs> I tried to catch him off guard. Like, are you going to pro Egypt or pro Canada? Both, inshallah. <laughs> what does it have to be? What does it have to be? Or it's like, are you Muslim or American? It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of that. Have you have you mixed? Have you have you experimented with a mix, Sheikhna, of any Egyptian and Canadian food? I know it's Ramadan, we're fasting, but have you like put ta'miya and poutine yet, or anything? Uh, not yet. But I've I've started recently to read some of these recipes, so I might commit something. <laughs> but not yet, no. Sheikh Yusuf. So, for the benefit of everyone, Sheikh Yusuf, alhamdulillah, as we said, he's our research director, actually, of um, a department on Quranic studies, and they are going to be publishing quite a bit, inshallah, Ta'ala, this year. There's a lot of research coming from his department, alhamdulillah. But I mean, very happy to uh, have have him join the team uh, in this capacity, and. Um, uh, I remember meeting uh, Sheikh Yusuf um, in in Canada, in fact, and Subhanallah immediately uh, was was struck by your character and the way that you know uh, you you, uh, you 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 really, Alhamdulillah, I mean, carried the garb of Al Azhar and the garb of Al Ilm very proudly. Alhamdulillah, I mean, may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala allow it to manifest in your akhlaq, in your character always, and in your in your vision and in your work with the community. Allahumma amin. Hayakallah, Sheikh Yusuf. Sheikh Abdullah, alhamdulillah. We're still here, man. MashaAllah, we're making it. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil He hasn't given up on you just yet. Alhamdulillah, Sheikh Abdullah, we're still, still part of the program. Very happy to have you as always, Sheikh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inshallah ta'ala, now we are getting into just eight. And um, I just want to say, subhanAllah, that... Uh, I'm already, I don't want to jump the gun, but I'm already excited about Juz 9, uh, which is going to be heavily focused on the Battle of Badr. So inshallah ta'ala, make sure that you, you know, follow the trend as we're going through it, ta'ala, and um, enjoy, you know, subhanAllah, this Meccan part of the Quran, because now we're really alternating between Meccan and, and Madani Quran. So we spent a lot of time with the first few chapters of the Quran, which were exclusively in Medina, with the exception of a few ayat here or there um, that may have come in Mecca, but exclusively Madani surahs. And then we get into now, uh, you know, some of the Meccan Quran as well, some of the Quran that was revealed in Mecca. And we're still in now Surah Al-A'raf. And um, in Surah Al-A'raf, you know, we, we talk about many things that have to relate to creed, that have to relate to aqidah and, you know, the different categories within aqidah of tawheed and risala and akhirah, monotheism, uh, the concept of a prophet and the concept of the hereafter. And I think it's important to, to, to note here um, that when we start to see the introduction of prophets that came before within the capacity of Surah Al-A'raf, this is not speaking to the people of Medina or uh, the the climate in Medina, which was familiar with the concept of prophethood. So, you know, when we were talking about the prophets as they're coming up in the capacity of the first few surahs of the Quran, keep in mind that the Muslims at this point are interacting with the people of the book who are very familiar with the concept of prophethood. But when you are speaking to a Meccan climate, they are 
completely, you know, in denial of anything to do with prophethood and anything to do with the hereafter. Both of these things caused them ajab, caused them, you know, a, a feeling of, of shock, right? And like, how is it possible that a prophet could be raised amongst us? How is it possible that our bones could be assembled and we be raised once again in the hereafter? And so you, you really see it, I think, subhanAllah, in, in this verse, though it's not the first verse we'll talk about, but verse 63, where Allah says, That do you wonder that admonition should come to you from your Lord through a man from amongst yourselves, that he may warn you and that you may avoid that which is evil and that mercy may be shown uh, to you. And this is actually, you know, plugged right in the middle of the story of Nuh salam. So you start to see some of the prophets specifically whose nations were destroyed, right? Nuh salam's nation destroyed. Lut salam's nation destroyed. Uh, Shu'ib salam and Salih salam, right? So you start to see some prophets whose nations were destroyed. And the the similarity between the Prophet salam and Nuh salam is that what the ulama mentioned that Rasulullah received very similar treatment from the people of Mecca that Nuh received from his people, especially in the early days of Mecca, uh, which was just a sense of mockery, a sense of treating the Prophet وسلم, with, uh, you know, with, with some sort of repulsiveness, a sense of, of mockery of the Prophet وسلم, and uh, you know, belittling the Prophet وسلم, and in the process only belittling themselves as if like, why would Allah choose you, right? Why you? You know, oh, sure, this is going to happen. Oh, of course, you know, so mocking the Prophet وسلم. So subhanAllah, this ayah, verse 63, comes in the middle of these verses about Nuh salam, and that's what the ulama mentioned here, a connection between the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and Nuh salam. Then you have some really, really interesting seerah tidbits, inshallah ta'ala. So uh, you get to verse 28. So let's kind of go back to verse 28, where Allah subhanahu wa This is a verse that if you don't know the seerah context can really be lost on you. Um, and when such people commit fahisha, indecency, they say, look, this is what we found our forefathers doing. And Allah also enjoined this upon us. This is also what God commanded us to do. And the response is, you know, not even like, you know, that your forefathers would not command you with fahsha, with indecency, because the reality is that you could actually have fahsha, indecency passed down from generation to generation. And that's one of the ways that it's normalized. But here, the response is Allah, God would never enjoin any type of indecency, right? Because these people, they believed in Allah, but in a spectrum of gods, right? And so uh, surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not enjoin any type of indecency. Are you saying that about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what you clearly have no knowledge about? So why is it that I say that this is something that could be totally lost upon the reader if they don't know the seerah of the Prophet or the implications of the seerah here? This fahisha uh, that is being referred to here, this indecency is particularly referring to the jahli practice from the days of ignorance where uh, they used to do tawaf around the Kaaba without clothes. And they would, you know, the men and the women would go out and they would do tawaf around the Kaaba without clothes. And you can, you know, that's such an inappropriate sight, right? It's so indecent. And uh, it's particularly, by the way, you know, when, when you start to look into the books of tafsir, 
um, you know, I, I, was, I was reading about the, the particular tribes because just like when it comes to the, um, the burial of young girls, it wasn't all the tribes that used to bury the young girls, right? Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, وَإِذَا الْمَعُودَةُ سُئِدَتْ بِأَيْذًا بِنْ قُتِلَتْ When the young girl buried alive will ask, for what crime was I killed? But the fact that, you know, this became okay in Mecca was actually a condemnation of all of the people right, all of the tribes for allowing this practice amongst themselves. So even if all of the tribes did not actively participate in female infanticide, it is, you know, a condemnation of all of them uh, for allowing it in their midst in that way. And so when it comes to the practice of doing tawaf around the Kaaba in nakedness, uh, this is something that, that particularly it seems Banu Amr uh, was known for. They used to do tawaf around the Kaaba without any clothes whatsoever, the men and the women. And so what is, you know, and, and what's the reasoning for it? You know, these are people, subhanAllah, that were using their gods, using the idols uh, to manipulate people. They did not have a sense of the hereafter. It's all traditions, traditions, traditions. This is what our forefathers did. This is what our forefathers did. Uh, so what's the reasoning for it? Well, you know, we don't know if it's holy or not holy, and you know we're just kind of making things up. So they take the practice of their forefathers, and then they embellish it by saying that, well, this is what Allah commands too. And if you think about how cultural innovations happen within theology, that's how it happens, right? It gets passed down, and then you have to preserve the bid'ah, so you decorate the, the innovation, so you decorate the innovation by saying this is what Allah commanded as well. And these people just, you know, brought, of course, this is bid'ah that is shirk and kufr here, right? This is the worst type of innovation in religion, which is complete uh, polytheism and just adding a very indecent practice uh, to their polytheism. And, you know, they're, they're saying that this is what Allah must have commanded to us as well, because otherwise our forefathers would not have passed this down to us. And so this is the context of the verse uh, 31, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Bani Adam, khudu zinatakum inda kulli masjid, wa kulu washrabu, wa la tusrifu, innahu la yuhibbul musrifeen. O children of Adam, take your adornment with you to the prayer. Uh, when, when you go to the masjid, wear your adornment. Make sure that you wear your best clothes and eat and drink without going to excess. For verily, Allah does not like those who, uh, who do islaf, who go into excess. Now, this is actually something I'm going to ask Sheikh Yusuf, by the way, because I think it's it's, it's something that actually piqued my interest. And, and you know, Sheikh Yusuf is, uh, mashallah, when it comes to, um, you know, the Qur'an and understanding the meanings of the Qur'an, uh, I pray that maybe he can he can comment on this. But it's very interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Bani Adam here, and not Ya Yuhadadina Aminu. Uh, o children of Adam, as opposed to O you who believe. And uh, one of the wisdoms, Allahu A'lam, is that uh, the Muslims are living in a Meccan climate where uh, they are not in a place of power. The idols are still there. And so it's a call to all of them to not uh, to not go around the Kaaba without their clothes, to not go around the Kaaba naked. Like even those of you who are still upon your shirk and refusing the message of the Prophet, don't don't bring such, you know, such uh, uh, indecency uh, to this place. Allah knows best and maybe Sheikh Yusuf will have something to share there as well. Uh, why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say and eat and drink without going to excess? Because uh, they used to say that we will not eat during the times of our pilgrimage. Okay, again, because this is what our forefathers used to do. And so they don't eat at that time. Now, this is a really interesting departure point. They were claiming this as a form of righteousness. 
And some of the narrations say that the Muslims said when they saw that they would fast in their times of pilgrimage, نَحْنُ أَحَقُّ أَنَّفْعَلَ ذَلِكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ we are, you know, we have a greater right, and if anything, we should be doing that as well, O Messenger of Allah, because that's a good thing. You know, nakedness we get, cover the aura, cover your 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 indecency. But um, like fasting is a good thing. So shouldn't we fast in our days of Hajj as well? Shouldn't we fast when we do our pilgrimage as well? Because they are fasting. And of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instead reveals. No, these are days of eating and drinking, but don't go to excess uh, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like those who are wasteful. Uh, this is something that's very interesting because if you contrast this to Medina, when the Prophet got to Medina and he found that the people of the book, particularly the, the Jewish tribes, were fasting a day to honor the victory of Musa alayhi salam over Fir'aun, uh, Ashura, right? What did the Prophet ﷺ say? Nahnu awla bi Musa minkum, that we should strive to do so as well. We're close to Musa Islam. We have more right to Musa Islam. We also should fast uh, these days. And of course, the, the, the revelation comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ayyaman ma'dudat, that we fast some days uh, before Ramadan came and rendered those days voluntary. So there's a difference between honoring the legacy of the prophets before and honoring, you know, or seemingly honoring. Uh, the legacy of the forefathers here when there was no basis to what they did. We act upon divine revelation, right? We act upon divine revelation. So whether it is, uh, you know, rejecting the, the indecent practices or rejecting an addition of supposedly good that is actually a hardship, but that has no basis, we reject it. And so uh, that that's an interesting point when you read that ayah uh, where Los Pantas says to take your adornment uh, at the time of prayer and eat and drink without going to excess. Uh, finally, um, where we move to verse 73, uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, وَإِلَى ثَمُودَ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا Allah mentions, and to Thamud we sent forth their brother Salih. And Allah talks about the destruction of the people of Thamud. Um, and of course, we are very familiar with, you know, جُزَعَمَّا كَذَّبَ الثَّمُودُ بِتَغْوَاهَا إِذَنْ بَعَثَ أَشْقَاهَا Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Thamud killing the she-camel killing the naqa and their disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that sense. Now, there is a very interesting sirah incident uh, for this. Uh, and that is that Thamud lived in an area between Medina and Tabuk. Um, and uh, they were ta'ad, basically what the people of Ta'if were to the people of Mecca, right? So they're only, they're, they're very similar and they are secondary of sorts to the people of Ad. And uh, the Prophet وسلم, uh, was once when, when he was on his way to Tabuk, he had the Muslims with them, and they they looked around and they saw the ruins of these people, right? The people of Thamud, um, and and it's known as Mada and Salih, right? This, the, the the area of the Prophet Salih السلام, and the destruction of those people. There used to be hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people that lived in these areas, and it's an entire beautiful city of architecture, but it is tainted by the destruction that came upon them because of their aggression and their transgression. And when the Prophet passed by with the Muslims through that area, the Prophet actually pointed to, according to some narrations, the well that uh, that the she-camel used to drink from. The she-camel mentioned the store used to drink from, and they drank from uh, that well as, as well. So they drew well also. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam passed by the valley that the she-camel came from and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
he tells them to, uh, you know, to look around and to observe, you know, what, what became of this place. And then the Prophet وسلم, he says to move forward hastily because he didn't want to reside for a long time in a place where the destruction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came. So this is an interesting uh, ayah that connected to this incident in the seerah as well. And, you know, the last reflection I'll leave with is uh, the verse in 93 where Shu'aib alayhi salam is departing from his people. He mentioned that Shu'aib departs from his people and says, Oh, my people, surely I have conveyed to you the message of my Lord and I gave you sincere advice. How then can I mourn for a people who refuse to accept the truth? And this, of course, parallels the end of Mecca, where the Prophet is, is, is leaving due to persecution, the people of Mecca, and settling in Al-Medina. Uh, and inshallah ta'ala, with that, I'll invite uh, Sheikh Yusuf and Sheikh Abdullah. Uh, Sheikh Yusuf, if you have any reflections? I put a very specific question your way if you had anything, but also any reflections about that, inshallah ta'ala, and then Sheikh Abdullah with the night time. Actually, I am... I thought about the ayah when you just cited it. Yeah, um, And yes, the ayah can be actually looked at from multiple perspectives. We can look at it circumstantially, talking about the community of Muslims in Mecca at that time, not being in power, as you mentioned, Sheikh. And the fact that the khitab or the address of the Quran is still to the universal, uh, is still universal to all mankind or all people that are living during that time. But what is more interesting is a couple ayahs before this ayah, there is another mention of Kulla Masjid again, talking that and, and maintain your worship for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every time or place based on the understanding and the interpretation of the ayah of prostration, which symbolizes the, uh, the, the salah, the prayer. So if, if we want to look at it from the perspective that those are Muslims living in Mecca, they're not in power yet, the khitab is for everybody, this one angle. But the other angle is one of the beautiful characteristics of the Mecca Quran specifically is the way it portrays or articulates aqidah in general. Is this mix between how to address the human mind, the human intellect, and at the same time, how to address the human spirituality as well. This is the, the unique combination that we, when we are trying to study theology or aqidah in our modern time, we are trying to attain this level. We are trying to, to mix and combine between the, the theological concepts, definitions, arguments that we're trying to understand, to conceive, and to convey to people, to talk about our deen, uh, to refute misconceptions, to dismantle doubts, to, to prove points about our religion, while at the same time maintaining a constant reflection or manifestation of these con uh, theological conceptions and arguments in, in our hearts as well. One of the, uh, one of the teachers, uh, one of the great teachers of theology, may Allah be pleased with him, he used to mention all the time that we need to combine between these two concepts of There is the there is the class in which we are studying uh, theology, logic, art of argumentation, uh, rational proofs, and all these different disciplines that are very important and needed within certain limits and perspectives. While at the same time, we need to understand how to implement these concepts in our minds. Applying this back to, the, to these two ayat, and again, applying the multi-layer meaning phenomena of the Quran, Yes, that might be addressing the group of Muslims who are oppressed, who are persecuted in Mecca, while at the same time it addresses everybody who's living there. It addresses those people who are making tawaf around the Kaaba in nakedness, or people who are not uh, devoting the worship only and solely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you need to maintain your wujuh, your faces literally, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And at the same time, every time you offer salah, you need to cover your outward aura, which is your body, 
while in the same time you need to maintain self uh, uh, introspection and self purification of your inward aura as well, covering all the defects of the heart and all the diseases of the heart that a person uh, might be afflicted with in this life. Uh, There's just um, a general reflection. I wouldn't call it tafsir for sure, but just a general reflection on, on how to maybe make the link. And there, I think it's two ayat before the ayat that I actually mentioned. Which is a beautiful ayah that portrays our world view of devoting our worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wallahu alam. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Yusuf. Barakallah fikum, barakallah fikum. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, mashallah, it's, you know, I think we were talking about this before we came on about how this chapter, subhanAllah, is a chapter of primarily of aqidah and as you mentioned, theology, and I like how you mentioned. That your Sheikh Hafizullah, he mentioned Dars wa Gharsa Tawheed, that it is something that we study, but in the same time, it's supposed to be something that is inculcated, you know, within our hearts, minds, and our, you know, our practice, our implementation of what we study, which is the goal of studying it. And uh, Alhamdulillah, um, one thing I love about the chapter of Al An'am is particularly is uh, the concept of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talking about guidance. And how, subhanAllah, you know, we see the reality of people that, that come into Islam. And I think I mentioned this last year. I mentioned it all the time of coming into Islam is not only a phenomenon of people that were not Muslim, but it also is of those that were born Muslim and they have had an epiphany in their life, whether it's a person, a friend, a teacher, something they've read, a near life death experience, and they want to come and do the quote unquote right thing uh, and get get right with God, if you will. Um, there are a couple of verses that, um, particularly in this chapter, are very profound in regards to the huda of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in regards to the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and how he shows us Allah the exalted uh, and guides us to the right way. And as we as we know, throughout the text of the Quran and the Sunnah, through induction of the scholars, some say there are three or two forms uh, of guidance. There is the, the guidance, the hidayah uh, of showing you the way, and then the hidayah of going the way. I mean, there could be, you know, for example, someone you're trying to, you get, you're lost in a city and you go to the nearest coffee shop, the nearest convenience store, gas station, and you ask them for directions. You ask them to show you the way. So they show you the way, but it's still upon you to make that choice to go that way. And that's where we understand these two types of forms of guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in a chapter, you know, uh, in this chapter where he talks about in verse number 122, where he asks a rhetorical question. And this rhetorical question is asked, what is very interesting is he asked this question after talking about uh, the the meat, the halal, uh, the halal livestock, or what are the forms of meat that are allowed for you to eat and pronouncing the name of Allah over these animals, or if it's a dead animal, that which you cannot eat if you find it and it is already dead. And what is the process of, 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 of that which is particularly halal or kosher, for lack of better words, if you will, in regards to our meat. But then after that, he talks about the dead heart. And he asks the question, the rhetorical question. He says, after A portion of this verse, he says, Is the dead person that is brought back to life by us and given light in which to walk among people, uh, comparable to someone that is trapped in deep darkness who cannot escape? And he says, uh, so he makes this comparison firstly of the one that was kanamaitan, the one that was dead. But the death here is primarily the death of the heart. It is a dead heart. And you find this in Islam, subhanAllah, 
numerous times talking about the dead heart and that the heart is something that is paramount to the guidance of a person. As we mentioned in numerous uh, jalasats and numerous gatherings before that we talked about, it is important for the Muslim to be prepared or to, to be diligent on the situation of their heart. And the name of the heart is the qalb, as some scholars say, because it is, is constantly in motion. It is constantly is in motion and needs to have thabat. And that's why the Prophet and thabat is to be firm and to be solid on something. And to make sure when you are solid on that, you ask Allah to keep you and solidify you within that belief that you have, whatever your heart is content or trying to be content upon. Hence, we have the dua of the Prophet Ya muqallibul qulub. Thabit albi aladinik. Mukalib al Kulub, Thabit Albi Aladinik. Oh, the one that flips the hearts, make my heart firm upon your deen, your religion, your the, the way of life, which is Islam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking the rhetorical question: is the one that is has the dead heart that we have brought back to life that walks amongst the people? Yamshi bihifin nas. So here it is firstly an acknowledging that there were people that had dead hearts. And the dead heart is ultimately, as was mentioned a couple of days ago, uh, of the one that is distracted by the ultimate distraction by turning to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or turning to Allah and others along with Allah at the level of Allah. And that is what is very important here because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses this heart as mayyid because the thing that, what brings the heart to life is the one that gave you life is the Tawheed, is the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the belief that there is nothing like him and everything else is subordinate to him. It's subordinate to him, subhanahu, glory to him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking this question of the one that has the dead heart and we have brought it to life and he walks with it. We have put inside of it nur, a light. With this light, you are walking amongst the people. You are not walking away from them. So in other words, when you have this light of guidance, this light of truth, this light of integrity, this light of love, all the aspects of ibadah, of servitude that are manifest in different ways in our hearts ultimately and shown throughout our actions, this should be given to other people. But the question is, the nur that you have in your heart, are you allowing that nur to illuminate in front of others to where they can get from this light? They can take from this light and inshallah have their own lights in their heart. Because as we see on media and even in person online and offline, that there are people with dead hearts. They don't have any direction. They don't have anything that brings them serenity, anything that brings them security, anything that brings them certainty. So when we understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one that can bring you this light, you constantly ask him for the nur. As the Prophet mentioned the beautiful long dua that when he would leave from his house and go to the masjid, nuran, at the very end he says, and make me nur. He mentions certain body parts of his and to place in it nur, and at the very end he mentions, and make me nur. Make me someone that is illuminated. Allow this illumination to be of that which people see and are affected by. So yamshibihi fin nas, amongst the people, are we people that is spreading the nur to everyone else? That is something that we have to consistently ask ourselves. And then he makes the he makes the comparison. Is this person that has the nur, that his, his heart has been given life, 
with the nur and is amongst the people as subhanallah you know by a small tidbit that ibn al-qayyim subhanallah uh, in his book wabil al-sayyib you know, he, he mentions around 72 benefits of dhikr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then from this he mentions within the 51st uh point that he mentions on this benefits of dhikr that it is nurun lidhakr that remembering allah dhikr is remembrance you're remembering him in your heart you're remembering his names beautiful names and attributes and those and how it manifests on you and you're remembering the dhikr by your tongue and as we spoke about a couple of days with sheikh tahir about the saying the dhikr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying his name subhanallah walhamdulillah mentioning the name of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does something to the psyche and it does something to the heart and that is where the nur is maintained inshallah so that's a beautiful point here when when ibn al mentions the importance of remembering allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how that gives nur to the uh human being spiritually inshallah ta'ala and other than that then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he continues on making the comparison is it like the one that is trapped in deep darkness and there is no way out if i was to turn the lights off now i think i made this comparison last year i would you know within my gym slash studio slash uh library i would definitely trip over some cords and knock over some lights because there is darkness so if we make that comparison as allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making this comparison the dhulumat is plural. As some scholars say, the, the, the dhulm of the eyes, the dhulm of the heart, the dhulm of the different body, body parts. Just as the Prophet asked for nur of these particular parts of our body. So the dhulumat is in different forms. As the Prophet said, that the, the darkness is in different forms. But when understanding for us now, that the Prophet sallallahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about these dhulumat laysa bi kharijin minha because sometimes subhanallah it is layers of darkness that we see people upon it is layers of darkness that when we stop and learn ourselves we realize that subhanallah I didn't know I had this bad of an anger problem an anger issue subhanallah I didn't know that my heart was so attached to that person that has passed away, to the degree, this righteous person that has passed away, to the degree that I may worship them along with Allah. I didn't know that there were layers of darkness when it came to the level of appreciation that I gave to a form of creation that was at the level of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pluralizes it here by saying vulumat minha, because it is very hard at times for a person to look in the mirror and to ask themselves, SubhanAllah, what am I really doing in regards to showing Allah my gratitude and learning who he is and who he is not? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concludes and he says, in this way, the evil deeds of the disbelievers are made to seem alluring to them. Uh, particularly as we see this verse was particularly talking about those that had not yet embraced the faith of the oneness of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala and then embracing that faith as some has mentioned of Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu anhu But particularly as we see as they say uh, the, the 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 lesson is with the generality of the mentioning of the verse or the goal of the verse not be the specific reason Although we know that verses of the Quran have been revealed for as consequential But we see that the generality of this is paramount that we understand that there is darkness that can take place within the hearts of people and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide them 
and we should look at the nur that Allah has given us and be thankful for the virtue of this of this beautiful, beautiful, complete religion of Islam and allow that to spread and understand the danger of darkness and its manifestations. And Allah SWT continues on later and he talks about the guidance of Allah uh, when he mentions that Allah SWT opens the heart of someone. Islam. And he mentions verses, you know, if you have the opportunity to read a couple of verses later, and this verse, subhanAllah, this verse as well, and the verses that follow, subhanAllah, are very, very important in regards to those, as I mentioned earlier, that have come to the faith of Islam, or those that have come to the faith of Islam, and they have been Muslim their whole life, but they decided to try their best. And that attempt that you make, Allah is not negligent of it. Allah is not negligent of the fact that you are looking for that nur to take, to keep, and allow to be illuminated for others, inshallah ta'ala. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that have nur and allow this nur to illuminate and affect others bi idhnillahi ta'ala. Ameen. Jazakallah khair. Habidakallah. Sheikh Yusuf, I'm just going to pass it on to you with the night ta'ala. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Abdullah. Tafadr Sheikh Yusuf. Barakallah fikum, Sheikh. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Abdullah, for the beautiful reflections, mashallah. Drawing from the the major aqidah theme in, in Surah Al-An'am, um, the surah, as, as was touched on multiple times, addresses a lot of aqidah issues and, and engages in multiple levels with so many different polytheistic and heretic notions and beliefs. And at the same time, it documents a lot of the false practices that the Arabs used to offer before Islam. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him, he said, as Imam Bukhari reported, that if you want to know and learn about the ignorance of the Arabs, read from Ayah 130 from Surah Al-Am and onwards towards the end of the Surah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala documents so many different practices and, and false fake rituals they were offering for their fake gods. When we um, look at the very first ayah of today, just the eighth, just ayah number 111, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so the, the surah in the same context of aqidah offer a lot of different arguments and engage it on multiple levels. And at the same time, the surah is always reminding people that you have a lot of signs around you. You have a lot of different adilla. You have a lot of different arguments around you. If those arguments are not enough for your rational mind and they're not enough to conquer your heart and open and widen your spiritual horizon to receive and accept the guidance and the huda from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no matter how many adillah, no matter how many arguments and signs and ayats and miracles we bring up to you, there is no way you will be guided. And this is exactly what this ayah is, is, is saying. And the ayah is, is very unique because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is including in this ayah most of the requests that those people made to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those requests, some of them are in the Quran, some of them are in the sunnah and the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and even if we had sent down to them the angels, even if the dead spoke to them, even if we gathered all things in front of them, you wouldn't have believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want to highlight specifically the word qubula, because when we uh, look into the qira'ah, the different modes of recitation in the Quran, there is actually more than one qira'ah in this word. There is a qira'ah that maybe we are familiar with, it's the common qira'ah that we know from Hafs, for example. And then there's another qira'ah that says qibana with a kasra underneath both the qaf and the ba. And subhanAllah, two diacritic marks add a lot new different meanings to the ayah. 
And and as as we know about the beauty of Qur'an is it always emphasizes the this this um, uh, phenomenon of the Qur'an of the multi-layer meanings of the Qur'an. The, the same word could be pronounced differently, but it adds more and more meanings that are not contradictory, but they enrich the meanings and the interpretations of the ayah. So Qubulan, the first one that we actually know means if we bring all of these things, right, from all the different kinds, if we gather all different kinds of things in front of them, this is this is basically the direct meaning. But when we recite it with the other qibalan, it adds actually two other meanings to this meaning. The first meaning, as was suggested by a lot of the scholars in Tafsir al-Qira'at, they said qibalan uh, actually also uh, means a kind of qabil. Qabil means kafil, which means if we bring all of these things to guarantee to them that what the Prophet is telling them is, is the truth, they will not believe still. So even all the creatures that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring in, and, and keep in mind the universality of the word kulla shay, all things. And the, the scholars of tafsir said kulla shay here includes living and non-living beings. So imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing all the creatures. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing all the non-living things, the rocks, the mountains, the, the everything that around those people would actually speak, would talk to those people, the polytheists of Mecca, telling them what the Prophet is telling you is truth. This message is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will not still believe in, uh, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is another layer of the meaning. A third layer of the meaning, qibalan, also means mu'ayana, which means something that is right in front of you. Something that you can sensibly and physically interact with and see by your own eyes. So you can see all these different signs in front of you, but those people are still unwilling to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concluded the ayah with saying, but most of them are actually ignorant. One meaning of that will be most of, the, most of them are not ignorant that you don't need to ask for more than one ayah. If one sign, ayah, miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not enough for you, if we give you all different ayat and miracles and signs, they will not be enough of you. This is the level of spiritual blindness that those people fill in. And this is what the Qur'an is trying to trigger in our minds and spirituality that be careful because the hidayah of the Qur'an and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is based on your spiritual readiness or willingness to receive the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This same Qur'an was revealed to all those different people from the same community and society, but at the same time, they did not receive it in the same way. They did not interact with the Qur'an in the same way because it, it's all dependent on your spiritual uh, willingness to receive the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another ayah from the same just that I would also like to share reflection on to conclude with is in, in the same context of engaging with the polytheists and, and, and the mushrikeen of Quraysh, of Mecca, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about those people who would say, we will not believe until we are given that which the prophets of Allah were given as well. I number 124. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to this in a very unique manner, saying, Allahu a'lamu haythu yaj'alu risalata. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most knowing where he places his message, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's a beautiful response because also, again, applying the same multi-layer meanings, you can look at this same ayah from different perspectives as well. The direct meaning is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for this message, and he knows best who is the most fit for this mission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why he's al-Mustafa, and the meaning of al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the chosen one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sallallahu alayhi Imam Ahmad reported in, in his Musnad from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala an, that uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna Allah nadara fi qulubi al-ibad, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has 
looked into the hearts of people. And he found that Muhammad's heart, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is the best heart of all mankind. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen him for himself and has chosen him to deliver and convey his message. So this is a first direct meaning. We understand that how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places this message in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But you, want, you can also extend this meaning to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses this particular community to, to send the message to and to choose the Prophet and the companions, the Sahaba to be around him from the same community because he places his message whatever he will, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the, the continuation of the same hadith says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also then looked into the hearts of the servants and the people after the hearts of the Prophet and he chose the hearts of the Sahaba to be the assistants of the Prophet to be the people who fight and, and defend the Prophet and fight for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, one of the beautiful stories that was reported about the Sahaba is one man was in the masjid later on after the death of the Prophet وسلم, and he saw Abdullah ibn Abbas, the, the Prophet's cousin وسلم, walking in the masjid and he didn't know him, he didn't recognize that this is Abdullah ibn Abbas. So he asked people, he said, who is this person? Because he felt in himself in awe of the presence of Abdullah ibn Abbas. So they said, هذا Abdullah ibn Abbas ibn Ammi Rasulillah This is Abdullah ibn Abbas, the cousin of the Prophet The man just spontaneously on the spot said in his still awe that he was in Allahu a'lamu haythu yaj'alu risalata. Allah knows, Allah is the most knowing of or when and where and who to give his message to subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and keep in mind that Abdullah ibn Abbas here represents both the fact that he's one of the companions of the Prophet and one member of the family of the Prophet, the household of the Prophet a third layer that we should also reflect under where to place his message is how can we reflect deeply on the entire society of the, uh, of the Arab society at that time? Because if you look at this ayah that we just understood and derived from it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, praising the Sahaba as a possible meaning, but those Sahaba were from the same community that denied all these signs earlier. Those Sahaba came from the same city and community where those people, Allah said, if we give them everything, if we bring all the signs, if we make the dead talk to them, they will not believe. But yet, that was the same community that basically produced those, the, the best generation of this ummah, uh, the Sahaba of the Prophet That's, This should make us also reflect on this. Should make us reflect on the different uh, social and, and, and even religious characteristics that, characteristics that those people had before Islam. How did they receive the message? What was the exact problem with the message of the Prophet How come the same community gives me Abu Jahl and gives me Umar ibn al-Khattab How can we understand that both come from the same social, political, and religious dynamics of the same community? This makes us reflect deeply on understanding the, the, the community of Arabs before Islam to give us more ability and insight of understanding Islam. Those people had a lot of merits and had a lot of good akhlaq in the same time had a lot of bad akhlaq and had a lot of different fake and false rituals that they offer for, for, for their fake gods. But at the same time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that they had something unique in their hearts. They had some beautiful characteristics that if the, the spiritual power of Islam would trigger it, those people would be the best of this ummah after the Prophet Those are three different layers of meaning that we can understand from Allahu A'lamu Haythu Yaj'alu Risalata. One last point I would conclude with is something that Imam al-Razi mentioned about this particular ayah, talking about that there is a daqiqa, as he, as he said, daqiqa means a, a deep, subtle meaning that we can derive from this ayah. 
He said that those people were envious of the prophets. He said, We will not believe until we are given what the prophets were given. And the response was, He said, We should derive from this that the minimum characteristics of the prophets and the messengers of Allah is that they are pure completely from any kind of evil feeling, hatred, or envy. Because those people, when they asked for this, that was out of their envy, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds saying, no, you are not worthy of being messengers and prophets. He was worthy of being a prophet or a messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Why? Because his heart is completely pure from all these evil feelings of hatred, envy, and wishing for the detriment of the, uh, or the detriments of the blessings of other people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon them. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, teach us uh, the Quran and we ask him subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to act upon the meanings of the Quran and we ask him subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our fasting, our prayers and our ibadah insha'Allah. Jazakumullah khayran barakallah. Assalamualaikum Shaykh Yusuf. Absolutely beautiful subhanAllah and a, and a perfect tie-in I think to what Shaykh Abdullah was talking about. Uh, the difference was the light uh, coming into the heart of Umar al-Khattab anhu, and then the light collectively coming to that community. And um, that's where you saw the potential and the possibilities that came out uh, of that community. Barakallahu feekum for those beautiful reflections. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah, if you have a minute, inshallah. We, so we have our research directors. We go we go far. So with Sheikh Tahir, we went like almost an hour. Sheikh Yusuf, to Barakallah. We went, all, we're, we're, we're nearing in on that mark. So we, but, but such blessed, blessed. And it's not because of you, Sheikh Yusuf. It's because of us. Uh, <laughs> Or me, I went long, but, but your your reflections were absolutely beautiful, inshallah. Um, uh, Sheikh Abdullah, if you have uh, any any you know reflection on that, Bismillah. No, no, Alhamdulillah, mashallah, it was very, very, very beautiful, mashallah. One thing that it was just was constantly in my head when he was talking about the, the two different narrations or you know readings of Qubul and, and Qibl, yani, is is just the that you you have no ultimate control, you know, Allahu. Subhanahu wa ta'ala is in ultimate control. But at the same time, it is not for you to give up on people. Right? Because this, this verse, you know, you know, it'll say, you know, last one I was talking about his qadr. He knows, he knows if they will be ultimately guided or not. But that's not an excuse for us to say, you know, Allah said it, so I'm gonna give up on my my father or mother, this person that I've tried and it's not working. And this is a message again to those that have embraced Islam as well. Don't give up on your family, you know, and always try means to call out to them. It doesn't have to be in person. It could be a letter. It could be something, but don't give up on people and know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ultimate control. And a huge sign, if you haven't, please read on the on the, on the story of it, Umar bin Khattab's uh, conversion to Islam. Because, I mean, you see Umar bin Khattab, huwa man huwa, you know, you see him and then you realize that Allah is Al-Hadi, which is one of his names. And looking up the name Al-Hadi, the ultimate guider, uh, the manifestation of that is far beyond our understanding but it's something that is so profound for us to trust in and to rely on. And I'll stop there. Jazakallahu <laughs> khairan. Uh, SubhanAllah, so much, so much to benefit from, honestly. And uh, Sheikh Yusuf, we're looking forward to um, all the papers and all the work that's going to be coming out of uh, your department. It's the newest department, but SubhanAllah, the uh, establishing the miraculous nature of the Quran, sometimes through just appreciating its many layers of beauty. And um, this is a part of it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to see the effect of that on the community. And Jazakallah khair. And we're very grateful to you for joining the team. Alhamdulillah, and for the work that you all are doing right now on the research side of that.
الله يبارك فيكم جزاكم الله خيرا again for having me and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept your efforts inshallah. Yeah. So one more time, Sheikh, Canada or Egypt? <laughs> answer. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll say Toronto or Cairo. Uh, does that basically reference Canada or Egypt as well, or this different? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to, to to get deeper. Maybe if I can, uh, you know, get 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 to it. Okay, I'll I'll give you one one last thing. Do you say process or process? The word process or process. You say process, oh, mashallah, mashallah. How do you say so Canadians have not messed up how you say process. You know, I'm, so I'm so not a hujja in English, so I'm not sure. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh everyone. We'll see you all, inshallah, tomorrow. We'll be uh, getting into Juz 9, inshallah, on the Battle of Badr. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Abdullah. Imagine an imam or a community leader. Imagine our community. Imagine the issues in our community that we want to talk about. Imagine the leader who wants to address those issues. Imagine that leader has a resource, has a place to go to that gives both hard data and relevant religious solutions to those issues. Imagine the confidence with which he can deliver. Imagine the impact and the positive change that confidence will inspire in the entire Muslim community. Know that you no longer need to imagine. Through Talk Toolkits, Yaqeen Institute has made it possible for imams and community leaders to address our most relevant issues in a way that makes a difference.